And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Crank up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Tildesley and McCoist's five-goal thriller, Barry from EastEnders, expected chuckles with David Seaman, Romelu Lukaku and the language of goals, a Wembley pitch-flavoured beer, Karen Carney's pitch-side thermometer, and the future mid-table Premier League stars of Euro 2020. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £1 a month for six months. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod to take advantage of this special discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 74 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to take a look at some very unimportant things from the first few days of Euro 2020 are, first of all, Dave Walker, how are you doing? I am very good. I'm actually, I've just, as I sat down to record this, I've just looked to my right where, where my wall chart is and I've noticed that actually I filled yesterday's games in last night when I came in after a full day in the pub and I've done it really sloppily, like outside the lines, like... Oh can't even really tell what the score was in one of the matches like so I mean apart from that I'm fine but I, I'm annoyed about that well as, as a wall chart atheist um no hang on I'm not an atheist I I, no, I believe that they exist sorry <laughs> as a wall chart agnostic maybe I'm agnostic um I don't do wall charts is what I'm trying to say can't you just buy a new one is that sacrilege not buy a new one why not what do you mean you can't I, no it, it is sacrilege yeah I've is started that it. It, is, it is a it is a holy sacred document hmm all chart, charts are an express version of, of fancy football. They require too much discipline and uh, I give up very quickly. Um, anyway, alongside you, James Moore, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, wall, wall charts were the bane of my existence for quite a few years in my previous job. So just the mere mention of them kind of brings me up in a cold sweat. So can we just move on quickly, please? No, no, I want to I follow up on that. But designing these things is incredibly irritating. Well, this is it. Um, yeah. Also, they're really yeah. expensive to make. They actually cost quite a lot of money to print. So to like to put that on top of the cost of printing a magazine, actually quite a big markup. So I mean, it's all very boring. But basically, you need like a sponsor to pay for it, and if you don't get one, uh, readers of 
premium football magazines will kick off. I can tell you that from experience. Um, does it match if it's landscape or portrait or or, yeah. or a lot, as Surely, we found out last week, circular? I mean, that circular thing is insane. I mean, respect to the yeah. Times for trying something new, but I mean, I just can't. I can't fathom that. That, m- okay. that must have been a waste of paper, circular. right? Surely. Yeah. No, mine's not circular. If it was, in the state I was in last trouble. night, I probably would have fallen over trying to c- complete it, I think. The first true lad moment of the Football Cliché podcast, <laughs> a man trying to fill in his wall chart for the Euros, wild pissed. Anyway, tonight, or last night, listeners, um, Dave, we, we were treated to the five-goal thriller of Holland 3, Ukraine 2, which was very much the... Uh, Holland 2, Czech Republic 3, year 2004 of proceedings. The, the tournament really kind of getting on its feet. Yeah. Is it any coincidence to you that it was Ali McCoy and Clyde Tilsley on the mic? That made it all the more enjoyable. I mean, yes. you know, if, if, even if it was a dull nil-nil, they, they would have, you know, made it made it at least bearable. But it was mm. great. They were both having fun. And it was just a really fun tournament match. Like, it's just one of those games where you don't really care about either team involved. Holland, they're quite fun. Ukraine are surprisingly fun. Mm. Not not the boring Ukraine of old, and a very enjoyable experience for a Sunday evening. James, I mean, we talked about last week. We talked about Clive Tilsley's kind of floating role in this tournament and how he might thrive without the pressure of England on his shoulders. He seemed to quite enjoy himself for this yeah, one. Yeah, he and Ali really did enjoy themselves, and that was at odds with what was happening in the studio, particularly at full time. I mean, you'd expect Nigel De Jong to be kind of, you know, mm. a, a, a bit tense uh, given the Dutch. Blew a two-goal lead, and even though they did eventually win the game, but Roy Keane was absolutely livid. I mean, it's such a weird, like, sort of yin and yang of pundits, that isn't it? Roy Keane and Ali McCoyst, mm. like, they, they belong in different universes, really. They should be talking about different football matches. You talked yes, last week about Ali McCoyst being in his element <laughs> at like some sort of end-of-season game between Wolves and Southampton, where there's not a lot on the line, and he can just kind of express himself <laughs> and have a bit of fun with it. But, yeah, mm. Roy Keane is always just so intense, and I, and I can't work out why he's so annoyed that. Holland only won the game 3-2. I mean, mm. He was absolutely furious that this kind of small nation who have punched above their weight for years are, are no longer completely dominant in European football. I mean, maybe he's projecting there, possibly. He's an, I, don't know, I don't know. But It, it, it sounds it, like he'd been bottling that up for quite well, a while. Maybe, then, yeah. but, I mean, well, Ireland didn't um, qualify, did they? So maybe there's like some, like I say, maybe there's some <laughs> kind of projection there. But yeah, it was really yeah. strange to see him. Like Everyone's had a really great evening watching this game. You know, you kind of go back to the studio and you think, right, let's you know, let's watch the goals and kind of you know analyze all of this. And there's some really nice goals there. The Yamalenko one was brilliant. Uh, but yeah, Roy Keane just kind of straight in there with the really sort of negative comments about the defending. It was sort of like it was like Alan Hansen at his worst, really. It's kind of, sort of it just that wasn't the kind of party vibes that I was looking for. I I wonder if he's he's doing the punditry equivalent of backing himself into kind of like a um he's he's doing the colour piece for a game for a newspaper and he's he's got to suddenly think of an idea. So in Keane's world, he's got to think of something to get angry about and he's just uh, really scraping the barrel. But um I don't know. It's nice to have uh, nice to have someone um, cast out over everyone else's fun. That's, um Stephen Cook writes in and says, uh, Dave, there were three I tell yous. From Ali within the first three minutes and forty-two seconds, um, so he was he hit the ground running clearly. Yes, and and unless I missed this and sort of dri- as I was kind of drifting, my attention was drifting away during the mm. quiet moments of the game. I don't think he gave us any trivia about Holland. You know, like he was doing in the World Cup, mm. he was doing oh the, this was used, this Russian city used to be or yeah. whatever you know in the war and stuff. Which I, I like, I like because I was worried, you know, we don't want him to lapse into caricature as we've just been talking no. about Roy Keane. No, it's fine. You don't it, need definitely. it, Ali. Yeah. yeah. 
he's scuppered by the pan-European Euros. I mean, where does he do his research? Yeah, he's... Mm. Um, All the cities uh, are too well known. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just read the top line of the Wikipedia page. Anyway, um, actually, this was via you, Dave, in fact. I think, um, I mean, this tournament is only a fledgling affair, but I wonder if this may well be the defining sound of Euro 2020. Um I'm not going to dress it up. This is Barry from EastEnders singing at Box Park Croydon before kickoff on Friday night. James, what could get you more in the mood for the Euros than Barry from EastEnders singing Mustang Sally? I mean, I, I, what, what is the thinking there? People paid for that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, is this a beyond happen? parody situation, well, just, Dave? What happened? I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think people would necessarily have paid to go there, but obviously they are. They have chosen <laughs> to go there to have a good time and enjoy themselves, and and presumably spend a reasonable amount of money whilst there. And it just so happens that Barry from EastEnders is there. Uh, he, he was there. He was there again today, ahead of the England game. Oh, I, I, no. I saw someone I know on Instagram earlier recording it on their stories, and he was oh, doing uh, "Sweet Caroline," <laughs> <laughs> a rousing rendition of "Sweet Caroline." I think he's only got you know he's only got a few songs in his repertoire. I was about he? to say "Mustang yeah. Sally," "Sweet Caroline," of course the uh, something famous, inside so strong is presumably so strong. That's his Ness and Dormer, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he'll do that before the final yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if he makes it that far um, um, but yeah um, surreal scenes I, I, someone during lockdown um, someone I know we, they, um, his girlfriend got because uh, got Barry from EastEnders to do a cameo for him for his for his birthday yes. a cameo message quite a long message it was like nearly, nearly like four or five minutes long <laughs> he he sung the whole rendition of something inside so strong oh, no. uh, he also did like a f- sort of tight two minute sort of stand-up-y bit that he's obviously done a million times before and you know in the cameo thing you have to sort of give them a few pointers to go off and obviously it had been mentioned that this guy sam was an arsenal fan so he went sam i hear you're an arsenal fan i'm a fulham fan myself but recently i've been um, following a new team lion king fc they've been doing okay they started off with a win away, a win away, then a win away, oh, a win away, a win away, a win away. And it, oh, it was, that is, that's a good joke. No, that's a good joke. On a technical level, that's a very good joke. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It works really well. I like the rhythm of it. Um, and uh, I don't think you would see that coming. I mean, I don't think you would see the punchline coming. I do no like offense, No offence, Dave, but delivered by Barry from EastEnders actually would be quite a lot more funny. Of course, yeah. No, his delivery far better than mine. But do you think, the crucial question is, do you think he did it on stage at the Croydon Box Park as part of his film? <laughs> <hat? laughs> 100%. Moving swiftly on, um, Charlie Eccleshare warned us about this before the tournament, James. And lo and behold, before the tournament even begun... We had punditry homework banter on the BBC. Q clip. And, and they're in a group in North Macedonia who you, you know a lot about, obviously, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd do that. I've got to be stuck back if you need that. Don't worry, don't worry. I won't do that to you. Um, it's- Quite an extreme version of the genre, James. I mean, that film was almost mocking, almost mocking to North Macedonia. Yeah, I mean, I- it does seem weird that they're so keen to highlight their... I thought we'd kind of move past this sort of stage of yeah. pundits being kind yeah. of willfully ignorant 
And I mean, I guess, you know, a tournament like this, there are probably half a dozen teams that most people will know next to nothing about, which is fair enough. But I feel like they've done that specifically to tee up the Michael Richards laugh right. To get the first one in, yeah, the, I was get the exactly. first one in the tournament. Yeah, I mean that's what the license mm. fee players want, right? From Michael Richards and the BBC, that's what he's there for. You could, you could say any joke. He Barry from his shit joke <laughs> would go down a storm with Michael Richards, and he, and you and it would make it funny. His laugh does make even the worst, most boring gags a bit funnier. Um, speaking of laughter, stumbled across a hit new podcast this week. It's called Seaman Says, David Seaman. Dave has his own podcast. I've only, now you've said that out loud. I've only just yeah, got it as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He has his own podcast. He sort of ruminates on the the art of goalkeeping and uh, reminisces on what it's like to be an England player. It's quite a jovial affair, Dave. So he interviewed um, Gaza and Jury Geller. So there were laughs aplenty. But my question to you is: uh, I spent this evening listening to the entire episode on three times speed to find out how many times David Seaman chuckles during episode one of his podcast. Now, for, um, if anyone's wondering about the technicalities of this, um, I'm talking about individual chuckles. He may chuckle several times at the same thing, but I'm, 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 I'm measuring the individual distinct chuckles. So if, like, if he talks if in he between was... chuckles, then that, that's, that's two chuckles. But what if he, when you say individual chuckles, if he was like going, <laughs> is that like four? Oh, no, no, that's one? the same chuckle. That's one continuous <laughs> okay. laugh is a chuckle. If he stops and does something else, either pauses or says something, or someone interrupts and then he laughs again, that would be separate chuckles. So the the undulations are not individual chuckles, I should add. Okay. Uh, I didn't think that needed explaining. That's a weird thing to have to explain. Don't you know what a <laughs> chuckle is? Is that is that how you laugh? It's anyway. the way you explained it. That's what I thought you were going to do. Um, anyway, it was a 50-minute episode, Dave. I want you to guess mm. how many times David Seaman chuckled in 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Uh, is he going to have more than one chuckle per minute? I think so. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say... 106 chuckles. 106 chuckles. Is, I'm, I'm going to go that, north Is that, that ludicrously high? I'm going higher. I don't know. It's higher. very precise, though. I, I reckon... You're going higher, right? Sorry, so 50 minutes, did you say? Yes, I'm going to say minutes. on average two and a half a minute. So it was like 125. 125. Yeah. 125 chuckles in a single a podcast episode. He does laugh a lot. That is his thing. Um, I can tell you that James was the closest, but he wasn't quite there. It was 131 Oof. chuckles. Wow. Surprisingly easy to figure that out on three times speed because his chuckles still actually resonate. Uh, but I, yeah, so this is one chuckle every 23 seconds. Quite disappointed that you haven't uh, taken the time to just make a montage of all the chuckles with everything oh, yeah. else cut out um, doing i was listening to that literally half an hour before we recorded this um, it would have been way beyond the call of duty to uh, perform that editorial function but um uh one every th- 23 seconds joviality personified and, and one chuckle every 23 seconds so if you want a podcast where someone chuckles 131 times you know where to go highly well moderately recommended by me moving on this dave is my highlight of the tournament so far. Uh, I'm sure others would share this with me. Um, this is Romelu Lukaku making it 3-0 for Belgium against Russia on Saturday night. And, uh, well, let's just listen to the commentary, shall we? 59% uh, of his players speak Dutch or Flemish, 40% French, a small fraction German. Here's Lukaku. He speaks the language of goals and he feeds off them. 
That's lovely. I don't want to say it's partridge. I want I want to treat it at face value. Dave, what is the language of goals? What would you? What, how long does it take to become fluent in the language of goals? I think the language of goals would be it's Spanish or Portuguese, isn't it? If you have to pick one. Okay. I, I, so you don't think it's its own distinct language like Esperanto or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I hadn't given it much thought, but. I think that was actually episode three of this podcast. If we if we if we deign to look backwards, I'm sure we did um, a whole episode on this. But so maybe Romelu Lukaku has been sat there listening to it on three times speed. I like to think so. James, right? as you say, effortless, very smooth from Matterface there, wasn't it yeah. on ITV? I mean, that must be a great feeling as a commentator, does, when it just kind of flows exactly like that. Like you can see the the chance presenting itself. You know, there's a mm. there's an opportunity for a great line. I mean, that is, I guess, yeah. the kind of uh, commentary equivalent of a tapping really isn't it i suppose yeah yeah you've got to get into the position right yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely i I don't want him to make a habit of that dave i i mean we had the melon sue incident at the women's world cup i mean no i think i think we know by now that that sam's obviously got that in his locker and i don't Mm. think he minds i think you know he's very aware that you know these things these clips have gone around in the past and stuff and sort of like similar to what you said about ali mccoyst earlier as long as you just tread that fine line of not going to the world too often and not being too on the nose not being too partridge i think you can get away with it absolutely on the eve of england's opening game james i received an email possibly the first pr email i've opened and read from top to bottom for a very very long time and it alerted me to the fact that a a new beer has been brewed Wembeerly ipa and it's made using the exact same rye grass seeds as the hallowed turf at Wembley, making it the first beer in the world to be made from a football pitch. Um, promising not, already? Not, not <laughs> yeah, really, I'm, I'm not convinced, but go on. I reckon if you if you drink enough of it, you could still fill in your wall chart um, uh, <laughs> superbly well. Uh, more details here, Dave. The beer is brewed using the exact same blend of rare rye seeds that grow into the pitch at Wembley. Uh, it's been uh, developed by Block 109, a supporters group set up to improve the atmosphere at Wembley. And all uh, some of the proceeds are going to be going to grassroots football. So that's a nice touch as well. But um, all I'm interested in is what the hell a beer brewed from the same grass as Wembley could potentially taste like. What 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 kind of mouthfeel does it conjure in your mind straight away? Well, I'll tell you what it tastes like. The same as every other fucking craft beer that oh, there is. No. They all taste the same. That's one thing I've learned in this last year in lockdown, having signed up to Beer 52 and been too afraid to cancel <laughs> the man on the phone since, that they all taste the same. And they're nice. You know, it's not a criticism of them, but like no matter what the, the marketing guff is on the side of the can no matter what where the seeds or the wheat or whatever's come from it's a, it, i couldn't tell you the difference unless it's unless it's like like actual flavors you know like a pineapple beer or something i just want to uh, take a moment to reflect on the potential um, nationwide plight of podcast producers who have been sucked into subscription offers from people who uh, advertise on their podcasts it's sort of sub- <laughs> subliminally entering your brain until you subscribed god knows when your man's got it all. Uh, it all. gonna turn up Stitch fix. It's all still coming through the door. <laughs> you must be LinkedIn uh, pro by now, I guess. Um, um, James, we asked our listeners what they thought when Beerly IPA would taste like. Sam says the beer will taste of Umbro, if it even has a taste. Uh, yeah, I can kind of, yeah, sort of slightly musty, but also re- of reasonable quality. Yeah, I, my experience of Wembley is always, it all kind of feels quite sort of synthetic, even though the pitch I don't think is... I mean, they're all sort of hybrid pictures now, aren't they? But hmm. everything else at Wembley just feels so sort of big and plastic. I can't imagine this thing tasting like anything other than sort of really cheap and nasty, plasticky 
just horribleness. There is nothing. There is nothing that tastes nice in uh, within a mile radius of Wembley. I don't think you're taking this quite in the spirit that it was intended. I mean, <laughs> let's, think, let's let's think of the famous things about Wembley. I mean, I'm, well, the horse. I mean, you think not, it tastes like a horse? Not a huge pint, not a huge pint drinker myself. I reckon. I reckon I'd struggle to get to the end of a pint of Wembley. I'd really start flagging towards the uh, the final ten minutes. As my, um, I don't know, my stomach begins to fatigue. Rubbish, rubbish chat. What am I talking about? <laughs> um, um, All I could think anyway, of was the Simon, used to be rubbish. Then the pitch was like too yeah, wet or something. I mean, energy sapping, energy sipping. Simon Ben Nathan says, when Beerly IPA would be obscured by an annoying permanent shadow on one edge and served at an angle that's unnaturally close to pitch level. He's, Simon Ben Nathan there, James, really tapping into uh, a widespread frustration with uh, Sunday's England games. We couldn't watch it because the shadow was on the pitch. Whose fault is this? Uh, God? Wembley or the BBC? I mean, it's certainly not the BBC, so even though quite a few people <laughs> on Twitter... Both. Well, seemingly a lot of people on Twitter thought it was specifically the BBC's fault. That's I mean, sensational. To be perfectly honest, uh, watching it at Athletic HQ this afternoon with no blinds, it did actually make it a bit of a, a bit of an ordeal for me. But yeah, that is definitely an issue at Wembley, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, that, you know, given most of the big matches there are played kind of in the summer months, you would have thought yeah. they'd kind of find a resolution to that one way or another. If only we had one of, the, um, one of those, those big metal clouds from the Qatar (laughs) would be fine well I mean I mean UEFA and and FIFA as well they 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 seem quite an image obsessed thing and and some of the finer details of tournament are so nailed down like the size of a logo or the the continuity of color on a kit in past tournaments and things like that and advertising hoardings around the side they're all very strictly controlled I get the feeling that someone at UEFA thinks this is not this is not ideal for a TV audience. There's something that needs to be done. I can. It's, we're going to have indoor stadiums within the next twenty years purely for this reason. I swear. It's funny. It's funny you say that about the um, the image of mm. the of the tournament and stuff. Uh, there's something that doesn't sit right with me about seeing Wembley, like seeing say London over the tunnel at Wembley. It's like <laughs> it's not London, is it? It's it's Wembley. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's not. I don't it's, think of it. I don't, I don't think of it as London either. I have to say. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right to me that like mm. this, this is this is the Lon- this is the London Stadium. We literally have a stadium called the London Stadium, and it's not yeah. that one. And also, like they've they've moved the uh, even like they don't have the the commentators are all on the wrong side of the pitch and stuff. They've moved mm. the, they've moved the normal commentary positions because it's oh, your way to it has to doing. be and it that's has to be in a, in a certain place and yeah. a certain stands and everything. And it's just it is all all a bit weird. I saw from our, won't like that. I saw from my athletic colleague Carl Anker today that they have switched all of the plug sockets in the commentary box. And in the press box to like European uh, two pin ones. What? So everyone's You're turned kidding. up with like their UK three pin laptops and they've had to That's get adapters. Unbelievable. That's unbelievable. This is why we did well. Brexit. Yes. Jesus <laughs> Christ. That, that's just, that would just cost loads of money to do. Just get them all to bring adapters. What? That is, that is classic UEFA. That is, that's just nonsense bureaucracy and gone mad. Gone mad. Um, not this sort of podcast, is it really? Not not that sort of podcast. But England Croatia did happen, Dave. Um, mm. But you know there was there was a kind of inevitable narrative, few narrative hurdles to overcome before we could see the, the game kick off. Um, we came very very close to another faux philosophical three lines debate before this match started. Do you have the energy for this again? It doesn't matter. And I heard someone talking about this the other day. Actually, it was a documentary about mm. it was Badil and Skinner. And it it got me thinking, like, 
they don't football's coming home doesn't necessarily mean that it's 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 just coming to our home mm. it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the home of football <laughs> no i mean the football yeah. is coming here and we're at home oh okay so you're approaching it from a technicality level mm. whereas james there was a, there was a definite kind of this is kind of accusation of, of arrogance but that 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 reared its ugly head again this week with quotes from Luka Modric about England's kind of inherent arrogance. Although he said it wasn't the players, it was the journalists, wow. uh, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it, nice to get, it really did nice reek to get the journalists of, it, part of the story. It really did reek of, and another thing, like he kind of had this bottled up for three years. I mean, he's clearly yeah. so rattled by it. I mean, it is a, it mm. is a stupid song by, by two comedians uh, that's mm. 25 years old. And, it, you know, I, you're right. I mean, I think the way people were using it in, as a kind of meme during the World Cup was quite different and it was kind of faux pompous. But it was basically, mm. even then, still a joke. And then England ended yeah. up getting to the semi-final, so it's, like, it's kind of got completely out of control. But people were tweeting mm. that, like, kind of, you know, when they were 6-0 up against Panama, people were tweeting, it's coming home. It was all kind of a bit of a joke. I, yeah, I just find it really again. weird that, that, like, Croatia... Were like exposed to that, and then it just got completely wound up by it. I don't really understand yeah. how that was kind of in their consciousness, really, during but, the World Cup. But also, I mean, with all due respect to Croatia, they're oh, definitely okay. not the home of football, are they? I mean, <laughs> like, fair enough if it's like China or, Scot or Scotland or like one of the nations that maybe have a justifiable claim to mm. being the birthplace of football. Fine, unless I'm unaware of the history of Croatia being the birthplace of football, then. Shut up, Luka Modric. Uh, in, in fact, um, Three Lions Fever got to such a stage. Um, uh, friend of the show, The Telegraph's Tom Gibbs, challenged me to try and find the original audio for the punditry at the start of Three Lions, which I thought would be an easy job. I couldn't find any of it. I feel like, it's, it, Dave, it's the, it's the YouTube holy grail. I got, I, got, I got within a whisker, I thought, of finding it's bad news for the English game because I had just assumed that it would be the punditry on the highlights after the game against Ireland was was abandoned in 1995. And Alan Hansen talks for ages on Match of the Day about it, but he doesn't actually say those words. He got so close. So um, if been, anyone... That would have been quite a weird thing to have had it. in that montage. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously, taken out of context, it works perfectly. But if, if anyone could find any of those three bits of punditry on YouTube, I'd be eternally grateful. Yeah, we do need to yeah, conduct a nationwide search, I That'd think. Be huge. Calling Calling all archivists out there to I search, the long search what's going on. I would but, happily um, do the long read on so who? So it's Hansen, Bad News for the English Game. It's... Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hill, Hill saying go on the, getting bad results. On getting getting bad bad results. results. Brooking in there as well? Brooking does their we're not creative, we're not, correct, we're not positive, positive enough. enough. Yeah. Mm. So it's Could got be to be, surely, I mean, you know, it's, it would have been relatively recent, you'd imagine, before the recording of that song. Yeah. yeah, but maybe it was a maybe it was like a Graham Taylor, you know, post mortem going ninety three to ninety five is the window the qualifying campaign. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not qualifying for the World Cup. The game against who was it that we the last game that we against Holland was it that we didn't get games no, the was, World Cup? Um, uh, San Marino was the last. Uh, yeah, game, yeah. So Holland it? was Holland was the decisive game. Mm. I mean, lots of people positing that um, is bad news for the English game was England not qualifying for the World Cup, which I think was a little, it's a little bit of an obvious thing to say, so it doesn't work. It's like, well, oh, it's bad news. Why is that, Alan? Well, I haven't qualified for the World Cup. So that's, so that's definitely not that. So I or can't... Is it, could it be something completely, completely unrelated? The is it like... Is it, is it, is it, yeah, or is it like... Yeah, oh, it, could or like yeah, it could be the... It could be the... of foreign players to the Premier League or something. Oh, and Hansen did that documentary, The Football's Foreign Legion, didn't he? 
It's all coming together. Mm. Maybe it's from that documentary. Oh, maybe. We'll find out. Um, anyway. Um, we'll football... try and find it by the time the tournament's over. Yeah. yeah that's definitely a long little project for us for the next month or so. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This perhaps fits in this medium-term running genre of um, uh, football meets marketing, Dave. John Motson is doing the tube announcements at Wembley Park. What's his train <laughs> obsession? We had, tra- we had, we had train spotting John Motson on last episode, and now he's back again. Um, how do you think he's delivering the the bog standard information of where people are on the tube? So is he like is that so? Uh, is he doing like this is Wembley Park, or is he doing like a, bes- a bespoke like? I think he'd be doing Hello, it in... I'm John Motson. Good luck and enjoy the game at Wembley. No, I think you're supposed to know it's him. I wouldn't I, I mean I wouldn't put it past him to introduce himself when he's doing it, but I'm I haven't heard it and I haven't heard any evidence of it. But James, I reckon he's probably doing it in that kind of faux incredulous tone that he uses for these sorts of gigs. He says, Oh, oh it's Wembley Park <laughs> This is a Jubilee line service to Stanmore <laughs> I can only think there's some kind of joke in tap in, tap in with your Oyster card. I mean, that kind of feels a bit too Route 1, but it is John Motson, oh, yeah. so I wouldn't rule it out. Dave, the the preamble to the England game was dominated by montages. Um, I, I worry we've peaked too soon with the montages. There were at least three montages on the BBC before the game kicked off, and they covered every possible avenue of English football history. Um we can go too big on montages, don't you think? Definitely. I want a good, solid one at the start of the tournament, which I was disappointed with, actually, in the mm. first game. Yes, I on was. Friday night, underwhelmed by by that montage. Um, but, you know, we're all obviously waiting for the big one at the end of the tournament, which will hopefully feature plenty of glorious reflections on amazing England performances. I never watched that one because I never get that far. <laughs> I never I never get to. I, ne- I mean, I think you never get that far. I never get to because they play it after the after, ah, the, after the final. I, I'm, I'm switching off. I'm switching off. One part of the montages before the England game, James, was a, a low-key cover version of Heroes with sort of John Lewis level of, um, of song choice. It, I'd always back the BBC to do a montage for me, but... I feel like they're they're looking rusty. Maybe that extra year off hasn't done them any good. Yeah, you kind of want it to be a bit more rousing, don't you? You kind of want... Mm. I, I know you talked last week about the kind of classical music and whatever, but I, I just kind of feel like you need something that kind of captures the mood a bit more. And you're right, that is it was incredibly John Lewis. I mean, you're kind of expecting like, you know, some old man sat on the moon looking through a telescope or whatever. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite... Don't make it sound seedy. It, but, but that was what happened in the other. I mean, it just didn't capture the mood in the way that I think you kind of expected it might do. That was the advert, mate. You can't blame me. Yeah, right? No, you're absolutely right. You've, you've matter-of-factly explained what happened in the advert. Um, but um, the montage has set the tone, Dave, for um, what 
could potentially become a very, very cliched day of English football because we had the montages. Then um, then there was this talk about the starting lineup and where's Jack Grealish, and which is, of course, the official heralding of the start of what is known as the clamour for Jack Grealish, which will really kick in, I think, after well, the Scotland game. But we, st- we, we did win, well, so... Well, that's it. I agree. Yeah. yeah, the, clam- the cl- for, for there to be a clamour, there needs to be something obviously going wrong with, with the performances. And I think South, Southgate very much silenced his critics today, didn't he? Every, no one's talking about Kieran Trippier playing left-back anymore. Well, there Calvin was Phillips, too defensive. Calvin Phillips, no, no one's saying that anymore. No, that's true. That's true. Okay. <laughs> that's such an English thing. Why, why have we got two defensive midfielders? Why have we got, we're playing Croatia. Um, I literally had that exact message from a mate. <laughs> at, um, one minute past two or whatever the team news came out. One minute past one. There is precedence for um, a post I, ne- I nearly, I nearly sent them the Emma Hayes article from The Athletic where she explained that very precise point about why mm. they should have two defensive midfielders. But I just thought, I mean, with apologies to my employers, I thought, I just can't be bothered. He's not going to read it. <laughs> can't be bothered. That's, that's our marketing just strategy. Let him, just, let him be ang- just let him be angry. Just let him be angry. The best best team of football writers ever assembled, if you can be asked. Um, <laughs> um, but there, I mean, James, there is there is a precedent for a post-win clamour. If you look back to World Cup '98, we beat Tunisia two 0 ah, and yet yes. there was still a clamour for Michael Owen when we struggled. Oh. Well, we struggled against Romania in the second game. Sorry, I thought the clamour in '98 so, was for David Beckham, wasn't it? I maybe uh, there was, was a double, double clamour. I mean, that mm, is, there was. I think so. What, what a fantastic combination of players there to be a clamour for as well. By the way. I th- yeah, no, I agree. I mean, but Michael Owen is pure clamour. Yeah, my, yeah the, 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 teen, is the teenage prodigy is definitely pace. the one. Yeah, you're right. He's yeah. exciting. You know, he's he's got yeah, pace is an, is the kind of thing that you want. That's the thing that kind of mediocre English teams always feel like they're missing. And it's not loads of pace in the team actually. With Beckham though, the, I think another aspect of clamour is set piece delivery. That's true. Yes, which we've seen with James Ward-Prowse recently. Yeah. Mm. Trent Alexander Arnold mm. and all that. So it's just a sense of having boxes ticked. It's just a sense of having a gimmick, isn't it? That like, no other player in a be it like kind of searing pace or like set piece you, delivery. You, you, or you wouldn't whatever. clamor for you wouldn't clamor for a big man. You wouldn't clamor for a sort oh, of piece. Crouch. There was definitely. I'm sure there have been moments where there's been clamor for a big man. Definitely, there would be calls for Peter Crouch. But oh, I don't okay. think you earn okay. a clamor just by being tall. I think this is important. No, I think right, this is right. important. As I always, Adam, you're right. Uh, yeah, no, no, fair enough. Um, and but the the England related cliches didn't stop there. But I I, I want to question this next one. Um, it was a very hot day at Wembley, Dave, um, mm. as you may have spotted. And I started to wonder, sort of midway through the first half, as England's bright start began to fade, that they would wilt in the heat. And wilt is the only word you're allowed to use in this scenario. And then, and then I thought, well, this is a perfectly, perfectly feasible scenario. England's high energy style at the end of a long season is really going to work against them in, this high, in these high temperatures. But does it work if it's your heat? If it's, if it's English heat? I mean, Mexico 86, yeah, sure. But can you wilt in your own heat? That seems, that seems wrong to me yeah no I agree you shouldn't we, we shouldn't be wilting in your own heat and like no. uh, English uh, heat good but, heat yeah it's the, the heat thing is ridiculous because I'm like no one talked about how hot it was in Germany in 2006 in the World Cup but it was very it's hot roasting. It's roasting. Yeah, roasting really hot but it's Germany so people sort of don't <laughs> associate that with being a hot country but it's, true. it's the same as here like mm. we obviously need to get a lot of hot days but yeah. and equally South Africa was in the winter yeah but everyone was going oh it's going to be really difficult down there in Johannesburg or whatever in, the, in that searing afternoon heat yeah people just don't think it gets hot in the london borough of brent um but james there's there are some iconographical thresholds that need to be met when it comes to football and heat and we didn't we didn't get them did we 
we didn't get the temperature pitch side during a game. Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, I, really I, don't, I don't think we have that. that. I don't think we've ever had that in an, in an English game. Have we? I, I, no, you get it at the cup final, don't you? Surely you oh, get it in the FA Cup final. In fact, we covered this on the podcast before, haven't we? The 1999 FA Cup final thermometer. Because yeah. yeah, Richard Keys was explaining Celsius to <laughs> anyone who bothered to listen. No, but we didn't have a pitch side thermometer this time. But do you know what? Do you know what? I'm really going to get on my soapbox about this because Dave, you know, there is this obsession with with um, the temperature at pitch level. You know, that's different to the prevailing weather temperature. You know, it's, it's much hotter down at pitch level. Don't measure it at pitch level. Measure it at five foot ten above pitch level. <laughs> no one cares if your feet get hot. I it's if your sort of head gets hot. So your feet get hot, your whole body is that, hot. Don't you know anything? I was listening to the radio commentary today because I was in a pub watching the game, and they didn't have the commentary on loud enough. It was really annoying <laughs> oh. me to the point where to the point where I happily had the radio commentary two minutes behind in my ear, just oh, so it no. gave me something to listen to. I didn't mind it, and I heard Karen Carney on Five Live, who was sort of in the pitch side reporter role in a different place to John Murray and the commentators. And she did mention the temperature. She said, oh, it's, it's, it's way above 30 degrees down here at pitch, at pitch level. And I, I immediately thought, well, where's she got that information from? Has she got has an she app got, on her phone? Yeah. Has she is just that possible? The, is it just on the home screen on her phone? She's yeah, just yeah. taking that as red. It must be a PFA thing. Like you get an access to a thermo- pitch side <laughs> thermometer or something if you have a membership or something. Um, but um, I mean, obviously the hotter it gets at a major tournament, um, James, the higher the potential it is for a um, Jackie Charlton, uh, John Aldridge um, style situation. I can't quite picture Southgate doing it. Um, but if he did, which substitute is joining him? We, we don't really have any angry lads, do we? Grealish, maybe Grealish? Or... Grealish I can imagine Frustration for not getting on, I suppose. Connor Cody, I can imagine gobbing off. But he's not going to be... Do you know what I mean? He's, he's very he's, nice. Why does he need to come on, though? No one, well, no I mean, if, you need, if, Connor if, if Connor Cody is coming... This isn't me criticising him as a player, but if England are putting Connor Cody on as a sub, it's probably like... You know, they're probably desperate for him to get on the pitch, right? Yeah. Well, no, 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 absolutely not. You've got it completely wrong. If Connor Cody <laughs> is coming, is going to come on for England, he's going to want to take as long as possible. Oh, no, is... It's going to be a slowing the, slowing the, the game a, a, down sub in the last point. minute when we want well, to if... Might no, want to well, come well, on no, for a corner. Yeah. He might want to come, up, come on for a corner and say the last minute defending defending a corner. Uh, and then you might well indeed have this situation where he's turning to you away for official and saying, you twat, you dickhead. And um, and I'd really like to see that, but hopefully the temperatures <laughs> will remain at those levels purely for that reason. Southgate's uh, not going to wear Southgate's not going to wear an ill-fitting white baseball cap any time <laughs> either. No, that's not Southgate, is it? Uh, not at all. I don't know if we're one of those Euro '96 bucket hats. <laughs> seems to be wearing now. I don't know if we're far enough into the tournament to be discussing this, but it feels like an inevitable part of any major tournament James I'm starting to pick out players that look eerily like they might be polluting the Premier League yes. in the next 18 months or so uh, I'm going to give you a couple of names from our listeners straight away I can't give you any because I simply haven't been paying attention that much but I, I'm going to start Alex Hamonatero says dumb freeze to Everton for 25 million euros um, Joe Martin follows up and says I think I speak for everyone when I say Dumfries is 100% turning out for Everton at some point wow well you are indeed Joe Martin but Danny Porter counters that and says maybe influenced by the current game I'm watching but Dumfries could be um, Spurs' next option in the never ending quest for a right back that works um, he's very he is a little bit yeah, Spursy in Everton I can see that that's the kind of club he'll join if, if he was like a player who'd move to the Premier League and probably be quite mm. good kind of be sort of a steady sort of 6.57 out of 10 
for like mm. two seasons, but then loses place to like an academy player from the club and they end up going back to Holland or wherever. Yeah, I can see that. Newcastle as well. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, they pick I think up I could see yeah, him there. Feels right. Along the same lines, um, along the same lines, Dave Paddy Milnes says Briel Embolo is nailed on for twenty three appearances and five goals at some mid table Premier League side next season. Oh, West Ham. And uh, he follows that up by saying Everton, Spurs, or Newcastle. Um, no, it's West Ham. West Ham will sign an average striker. Oh, he, from this maybe Priel Embolo is quite West Hammy. They um, just they just love a striker, don't they? They just love a middling European striker that comes and goes and mm. without you know much of an impact. I, James, I was very fascinated by the the range of replies I got to this because it was very narrow. And whilst I appreciate this is a this is a kind of strand of discussion we've done quite a lot on this podcast, it always centres around West Ham, Newcastle, and Spurs. This implication that they are the sort of club who would have their head turned by the two, three, four weeks of a major tournament and go, well, that guy's good. Whereas the big clubs wouldn't do that. Is, is I think that's actually quite a fair thing to I, assume. I mean, I think in the mid... I, I mean, I see what you said about Spurs not being a big club there. I think in the mid-90s that has happened though, right? I mean, Spurs in 1994 signed mm. Klinsmann, yeah, yeah, mm. and Popescu off the back of the World mm. Cup. Uh, I mean, did West Ham sign um, Radachoya or someone off the back of Euro '96? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And Newcastle. No, I, I mean, I think I it was the same World Cup. Mm. Newcastle must have signed so I don't know. That's very Newcastle, isn't it? I mean, we, there was an influx of Senegalese talent after the 2002 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is amateur hour, isn't it? It is amateur mm. hour signing a player on the basis of a major tournament. It can't. It can't happen anymore. Sure. No. I mean, it's, 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 simply, it simply can't. But there are the only the only way it could is that if there are any uh, clubs who have owners who might be you know more well, that's true. inclined to meddle in meddle in transfers who are obviously not consulting their analysts and their data departments and say I've seen him, I've seen him he looked good mm. you know David Gold ringing up and going that that Yarmolenko looks good <laughs> we should sign him yes well I mean. I mean, I do sympathise with the phenomenon, James, because there are some players who raise their games for international tournaments. They they play out of their skin and 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 they and they you know literally put themselves in the shop window. So they're kind of misrepresenting themselves to get a move better than they perhaps would have done elsewhere. And the name that does leap out at me straight away is that of Kiefer Moore for Wales. If if you'd never seen him play before and then you suddenly cast eyes on him in that opening game against Switzerland, you think he was you think he was a world beater. So I. It's, to me, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that whilst you know, whilst we're having this debate about sort of um, unproven Europeans going to mid-table European uh, Premier League clubs, I can see Kiefer Moore going to someone like I don't know Galatasaray oh, and yeah. scoring twenty-five <laughs> goals, and we just be going, "This is great! I'm really proud of him." But he's he he. There's something slightly Giroud-esque about him. Um, he he could be the Welsh Giroud. <laughs> I, is, it, is this the kind of Gary Breen effect? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you. I feel like that is a thing that you kind of... We always go back to Gary Breen, and is that because it just hasn't actually ever happened with like a kind of player yeah. from like sort of one of the British teams yeah. or Ireland or wherever? I can't, I can't really think It's such a romantic that, idea. I mean, it'd be amazing to see something like that happen. Now you've said that, I, I really want that to happen. It sounds pretty much perfect. It and really he definitely really would does. get 25 goals there as well. He'd score, you know, score in the Champions League against like Real Madrid or something as well. So as the tournament unfolds, we may we f- may find more of these. We may return to this theme. Dave, get back to your wall chart. I hope your wall chart continues to flourish despite its rocky I've taken, start. I've taken great care with the games on, on Sunday. So Thanks for joining me. Thanks to you also, James, for racing back home to get your microphone for this. That shows real dedication. My pleasure. And... Uh, 
I hope everyone enjoyed this first cliches episode of the Euros. We'll see you again in a few days' time. The Athletic.